Hey everyone, and welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring progressive and feminist work in Chicago theater. My name is Smyra Yan, and this week I'm talking with the incredibly talented actress and poet, Irene Roach. We talk about slam poetry, youth theater in Chicago, and what she's got planned now that she's heading off to college. Irene Roach, thanks so much for coming oh, on the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so the first thing I want to ask is, do you remember the first piece of theater you ever saw? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah? Um... I saw Bud Not Buddy at I Can't Tell You What Theater It Was or What Theater Company or anything like that. I was in maybe fourth or fifth grade, and it was um, a play about a kid who was sort of finding himself. He was an orphan and really wanted to know about his like, who he was and um, struggle with identity with name, if his name was Bud or Buddy, and it was Bud, but everyone called him Buddy. And um, I remember at the end of the play, there was like a really crazy breakout scene where the cast started singing black is beautiful it's one of a kind so keep that on your mind at all times and at the time i was just like oh that's cool you know nice but really growing up and putting the world in context um i realized how powerful powerful that was and i was really struck even then by how um these people were on stage like doing and saying these things and then they came back for a talk back and were nothing like the characters and i was just like oh my god what is this so yeah that was my first theater experience i'd say after that, I think theater wasn't a thing on my mind until uh, later in the middle school, closer to high school, um, because I live in Inglewood in a place that's just like a desert for any kind of resource you could think of. Um, and my school really sort of, I think there was like a competition we won or something like that to get those tickets. And after that, theater or plays really were not things discussed, talked about, seen. So what brought you back into it? Like what was your re-entry into that world? Uh, I went to Kenwood Academy for seventh and eighth grade. And um, they like treat you like a high schooler before you're actually in high school. So I got to pick an elective. And it was between like music, which I'm terrible at, or uh, drama, which I like reading. So I was like, sure, I'll do a drama class. I think I like that. And I took that for two years and really enjoyed the work we were doing. So um, I auditioned for like a performing arts kind of school and continued that journey. Cool. Um, what was the first thing you did at the performing arts school? First thing I did, I'm sure there was like a freshman showcase that we were all a part of, um, but the first show I remember working on, like sort of outside of school um, with my school though, was um, Our America Ghetto Life 101 in Remorse, long title, but um, which was sort of a documentary play of sorts about these two boys, Lloyd and Lee Allen, who take a recorder around their um, housing project and just sort of record their daily lives and what happens and what life like that, the ghetto life, quote unquote, is um, about. Yeah, that was the first thing I worked on with Sin. Cool. Yeah. Are you drawn to work like that that's very like personal and about like experiences? Yes, I am because I feel like that's the voice I have to add to the art and the craft, especially working with American Theater Company um, and documentary theater being such a pillar of that company and what they stand for and really diving into that for the past two years, I've uh, found a new appreciation for like existing things that we can work with on stage. You're also a, a youth ensemble member with The Yard, right? Yeah. How did that start? Um, the Yard is a theater company that was actually sort of born out of Sen High School's theater department. Um, our lead theater teacher there, Joel Ewing, and his partner in crime, Michelle Moe of Raven Theater and Timeline Theater and a million other theaters. She's a superstar. Um, 
they really appreciated the work that um, specifically the class before mine and my class were doing and felt like the work that we were putting on stage was more than just um, some high school show to be missed or only seen by our parents and friends and family. Um, so they really worked to sort of build these connections with professional theaters around the city to work with us, to mentor us and um, give us homes for our productions to really be fully realized. And that turns into the Yard Theater Company, which its mission is to produce work for young people by young people. We are interested in casting um, plays with people who are the ages that they are. So if the character is 17, get a junior in high school to play them um, instead of like the 20 something, which they can also play the role, I'm sure, just as well. But there's something about that vulnerability and living in the moment that um, young people have and can bring to a role to really liven it up and um, give them more credit than they're usually given. So that's how that started and how that came about. And we've just completed our second season. We're working on a project right now, which is not a play, actually. Um, it's a visual mixtape of slam poetry because we also have a lot of slam poets and writers, really talented writers in the company. Um, and sort of just to get the band back together and sort of revisit some old cool things that we used to do before we all got so busy. Uh, we're, we're recording them and sort of creating short films slash videos with them and we'll be releasing that at some point. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That sounds super cool. It's going really well. What sure. do you think differentiates a play that, like you said, is like just a school play from something that is worthy of a wider audience? It's mm, a great question. Um, I think the thing that differentiates the two is um, the work that's done. I think a lot of people, even myself before I got to high school, would write off anything a high school does is like, oh, it's a learning experience. Like we're doing it, they did this thing and they, you know, took steps to produce it and it, they're gonna do it because they had to learn something along the way. It's just like homework. You're not doing homework to show your teacher your homework, you're doing homework because you need to learn what you need to do. But um there's, there was something about the work that we felt in the room and, and the dedication and the heart that was going on stage that felt le a lot less like homework. This was way more than just us um, doing the necessary steps and taking the necessary steps. We really wanted to tell stories. We really were propelled to search deep within ourselves and, and deep within the audience and sort of have conversations meeting along the way. Um, and once we realized that it was a little bit more than just blocking and saying words, um, we thought a lot of, we would share it with more people. Did you develop a lot of new work or did you have to find work with roles for young actors? We did have to find a lot of work. And surprisingly, while there's not like a huge pool to pull from, um, there's a lot more than people think out there for us and for young people and young people of color or young queer people. There really are stories. You just have to look for them or create them. Um, yeah, so we, we found a lot of, we did I and You, we have Cardboard Piano, we did Milk Like Sugar, Fourth Grader Presents an Unnamed Love Suicide, and these are all shows that um, were originally cast with adult actors. Blood at the Root is a show we just closed um, with The Yard and was my favorite thing that I've, I think, been a part of, just creating and being with that particular cast. Um, it it presents, uh, it's a conversation about race in a very big way. Um, it's about the genus six in Louisiana very loosely. 
based on the genus six and sort of this um, racial tensions that arise in a high school when a black student is running for president for the first time and nooses are hung on a tree and that results in a white student being jumped allegedly. So there are a lot of things happening and watching um, those kids 16, 17, they're all like juniors and seniors in high school, um, handle that with amongst themselves. And of course it's, it's brought to a larger larger audience when like the police get involved and the DA and um, legal system and all of these kinds of things. But that's very much the world that we're living in today where 16 and 17, 18 year olds aren't just exempt from the conversations that are being had about their own bodies and their own you know freedoms. Blood at the Root has some really raw young characters with some things to say. <laughs> the youth council for writers theater yes. or youth so yeah. what is that like that's really cool and that it's kind of a newer program i think for unofficially five years old um it's really we meet once or twice a month also um at writers theater in their beautiful beautiful new building uh one of two things really happens at any meeting we meet someone that works in the theater whether it's marketing an actor um, michael halberstam himself um anybody that's on you know dramaturg or something like that box office and they talk to us about their work and sort of lead us through a workshop that um incorporates their work and or we will um talk about programming for the theater to engage young people in um a place like glencoe illinois where it seems like that would be a hard thing to do. Like people are sort of spread out and they're really comfortable and their subscription list is what it looks like, which is older and wider. Um, so they're really into reaching out and trying to bring more audiences into the into the building. And we're a big part of that and sort of being the young voice, um, so to speak. What kinds of things can a theater like Writer's Theater do to engage younger people, younger audiences or younger artists? Something that they are doing currently, um, which is, just producing daring work and work that shakes um, the the audience that's there first and sparks conversation um, and brings other people into the theater. I remember my first couple years on the council, anytime we would go, because we all get free tickets to all the shows so we can like discuss it and things as such. And I would almost always be the only person of color in the building or in the audience at any given time. And um, then not only were more kids of color joining the council and things like that, but as time went on and Michael really started pushing these plays to be done, like the Trevor Project is coming up and they just did Parade and really um, pieces that didn't shy away from um, the socioeconomic problems that we are faced with right now. He really brings a conversation to be had. Um, and I think that is the first thing that you can do. If people stop thinking of writer's theater or theaters like it that are sort of away from the city and secluded and surrounded by this very preset audience as um, being written off or elite or higher up or not dealing with problems that aren't that it, right in front of its doors, um, then it really cultivates a newer community and really breaks down some barriers. Do you often find that you're the only person of color in a room? In the theater specifically? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it always, it feels differently depending on the situation, sure. But, um, most of the time, 
as it is when you're the only anything in the room you feel like the spokesperson all of a sudden and like everything I do now or say now is indicative of everyone that looks like me um luckily I'm surrounded by a community that like the Chicago theater community that doesn't make me feel um, uncomfortable in that but really feel like I have a voice in that and feel like um I can't say that no I do not stand for everyone but I do stand for me and I do stand for the, whatever difference that you think we might have uh, visually, physically, mentally, whatever. But um, we're still in this room together and I'm still, I, I feel heard and seen. And I think that's the most important part. Let's talk a little bit about your writing. Sure. You said you write a lot of um, like spoken word poetry. Yes. When did that start? This is going to sound really gross, but I started <laughs> writing poetry in like second grade, um, but it wasn't slam. <laughs> what uh, kinds of things did you write about in second grade? I wrote about like the moon and numbers and things like that. My first poem that I memorized was Winter Moon, You're Really Big and Bright. You have a very special way of lighting up my night. You could always stay as long as you like, but please just please go to sleep tonight because like the moon was outside of my window and I it was just like the sun that night it was weird um how old were you when you wrote that I was in third grade then so cool. I don't know what is that like eight I think yeah eight or nine maybe but um my dad is a writer and he used to watch Def Jam poetry and I don't remember specifically seeing Def Jam poetry it was so long ago but I do remember just hearing um like that cadence of a poet a lot and just feeling that energy even if I couldn't understand what was being said and that was always very interesting to me um because it was sort of hip-hop without so much of the musicality which again I'm not that great at and really steered away from so um yeah that kind of caught my ear was your dad a poet I don't think he would call himself a poet <laughs> but yes <laughs> <laughs> are you ever nervous about him he hearing or reading your work yes all yeah. the time actually my family in general um because I think uh writing is something that's so personal or it can be so personal especially slam poetry it really um in spoken word it comes from a place of you know the reason why people are grabbing onto it is because you come with so much emotion that's coming from you personally and that's very easy to like throw easier for me at least to just throw online or something or just like say it in front of a crowd of people that I might not even see after this rather than like <laughs> burying my soul on paper in front of my grandmother and then being like all right now it's for dinner type thing like right. it's, it's yeah um but I'm never afraid to show it in a way that I'm just like they're gonna critique it or you know shut me down about it it's really more of a like this is probably something you didn't know about me or that I've experienced um and that gets sticky. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the, is it the Louder Than a Bomb contest? Louder Than a Bomb, yeah. Okay, tell me about that. Louder Than a Bomb, um, sponsored and sort of cultivated by young Chicago authors and Kevin Colville and all of those guys. Um, it is a festival, actually, that happens in the months of February. It ends very early in March. Uh, it's a poetry festival, a hip-hop festival, where there are events happening all day every day and all kinds of places all over the city so there's open mics and there's wordplay which is like a a different kind of open mic on tuesday and then there's curiosity which is a queer open mic on this day and but throughout it the through line of louder than a bomb is this poetry slam competition 
um, where, you know, numbers are assigned to poems, which sucks, but also it's getting people writing, so why not? <laughs> um, yeah, so you have a team. It started with like four in a basement about 16 years ago, and now it's over 120 teams uh, in its 16th year, or it, the 16th year just ended. Um, yeah, so that's Louder Than a Bomb. I've been participating in Louder Than a Bomb for four years now officially. I tried to do it in seventh and eighth grade, but I wasn't in high school. They wouldn't let me. So I was like an honorary member of my team <laughs> and Aww. never got to perform. <laughs> but it was fine. <laughs> um, so you, uh, so if you're in a team, are you all performing individual pieces? Yeah. Uh, so the lineup usually goes with the competition. There are five rounds. You have four indie poets, so po a poets that go up and do an individual poem. Um, and then you have one group piece that can be written by however many people, as long as it's within the team, um, and is performed by four people. Uh, and that's the group round. It does not have to be the same four indie poets that went up earlier. It could be a completely different four from your team if it's that large. Um, yeah. That's about it. Cool. They have like sacrificial poet before <laughs> before every bout. There's a poet that isn't in the competition or a part of a competing team that gets up and like spills some blood and gets everything started and calibrates the judges. It's all really cool. <laughs> Very cool. Um, what's the process like for writing writing a piece like that? Like, are you when you're writing, are you thinking about like this is for the competition, or did you bring a piece that you had already been working on? When I'm writing, I actually do very little writing during the LTAB season or like right before it. Um, anything that I've ever performed at LTAB actually was written like way, 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 way before the competition because when competition comes onto the table, I have nothing to say. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I'm writing, it's not really for competition. Um, depending on the piece, I, I sort of decide who it's for as soon as I write it or get the idea for it or the line for it. Like if this is for me, um, it can kind of go wherever and do anything. But if I feel like it would be performed or should be performed, a big part of writing it is just saying it out loud as many times as possible before it's finished. If I only have one line, just getting like the energy of it and, and what does it sound like and how might someone respond um, is the best part of, of slam poetry to me. I really think the writing process is something that's public. Do you have a favorite piece of yours? Oh, right now, I think my favorite piece is a piece called um, Green Thumb, kind of called Green Thumb. I call it something different every time I perform it. But um, it starts off, at least I hope this is what people gather from it. It starts off about um, there's a girl that gets her hair done by her grandmother and um, she complains about it all the time and she really hates it because her hair is coarse and it's 4C and it's too much. Um, and it's really starts off as a metaphor for sort of caring for yourself and um, understanding that there's someone, there are people above you and ahead of you and that have been here longer than you that are also caring for you and have been caring for you for so long. And it turns into a critique of the little girl who complains about getting her hair done so much or complains about how coarse it is or complains about the state of, you know, just having to be so protective of it, um, which translates to sort of black pain being exploited by black people. Um, it's specifically in the, in a slam poetry set. Um, and Mark Smith even brought this up at Cupsy, which is a college 
Poetry Slam. I don't know exactly what it stands for. I can't tell you. But um, it was actually in Chicago. The finals were in Chicago this year. And Mark Smith came by, who's like a really uh, a slam poetry hero, and um, chewed out really the performers that have been performing all day and doing their pieces about whining on stage, essentially. Um, which is very different when it's coming from a white man um, and going into all of these faces of people of color, queer people, women, and just all of these voices that had heard that for so long. Um, and they stood up against it and I kind of checked myself on that message that came with Green Thumb and realized that mine, it, it came from a place of um, not getting stuck on the pain. It's not about talking about it. You should talk about it because you you want to alleviate it and you want to connect with people and you want your history to not be forgotten and very much understood, but you also don't want to get caught up on the fact that this is all that it brought because it's not. It brought strength. It brought fighters and leaders and really a, a sense of drive to propel the movement and the revolution and whatever you feel in your heart instead of like um, whining about how tight the braids are. Just look at how beautiful they are and understand that you're gonna continue to get your hair done and you're gonna do hair and you're gonna see hair and you're gonna recognize it and you have to live with it. It's yours <laughs> and you have to own it um, in a way that doesn't give off the vibe that you are able to be taken control of and manipulated because of it. That sounds amazing. Is that a piece you're still doing? No. Or wait, doing as in performing? I guess I, do you just constantly have a repertoire and then when there are opportunities to perform, you just pick from that repertoire or are there pieces that have been like put to rest or how does that work? Sure. Um, yeah, I usually work with like the repertoire system where I just have a bunch of pieces that I know uh, people like to hear. Again, like this is for... <laughs> This is for me, and I'll probably never say this again because it probably sucks, but um, these are pieces that I have done that I know people enjoy. Um, and I pick from them depending on like the vibe of whatever I'm performing at. But there are some that I just almost refuse to do again because I've done them for so long. Um, mm. My best friend and I, Lauren Carter, wrote a piece called, a duo called Anymore um, in the summer of 2014. And <laughs> since we've written that piece, we've done it a billion times in so many different ways with so many different people once we even broke it up into like a 10 voice poem for a play we did and it's been a duo it's been four people it's been one person um so yeah that's one of those pieces where you, you probably won't hear that anytime soon um <laughs> why did it have such an expansive life why do you think that piece again it was one of those things that came from the heart um both of us live on the south side she lives in bronzeville i live in inglewood 15 minutes away from each other and one weekend in july in 2014 someone died right down the street from my house and was killed right down the street from my house um and it really sort of shook me because living in the city of chicago of course you hear everything that you hear about the south side but then living on the south side you hear that and you get kind of defensive about it and sort of like it's not that bad or like you're overreacting, which a lot of the times and that is the case, but it really sort of slaps you in the face when, you know, the stereotype is on your doorstep and I didn't know what to do about it anymore. And one of the lines is actually, I don't know what to do anymore, um, which came from just like, I don't know what to say. If someone confronts me about this, I don't know how to fight, um, you know, any a prejudice that comes with it when like it's here in front of my face. Um, yeah, and I think uh, Joel Ewing, again, really saw that the work, the product, wasn't just uh, for the sake of a product. It was written because it needed to be and because 
two young people on the south side of Chicago really looked around and finally understood something and something clicked. And I think that he wanted and we wanted that to click with other people as well. the August Wilson monologue contest. Wilsonia warrior is where we at. <laughs> um, that's like a relatively new thing. It's like five years that it's the contest. Been Just going about. On? Yeah. Sure. Um, so you won the Chicago um, finals. Finals, right? Mm-hmm. And then you went to New York yeah. to compete. How was that? That was amazing. I always tell everyone it was like a life altering experience. Um, one of the coolest weekends of my life, hands down. It was cool in two parts. Like I was in New York, sure, and we saw whew, we saw the color purple on Broadway. We saw Hamilton and we met uh the cast of both, not the full cast, but like that was enough. <laughs> um and really just being around these other performers, like being at Sen High School and being in Chicago and being sort of like in this haven. Um, I'm, I know people of color that are performers and I know people of color that are writers and I really get to celebrate those people and cling on to those people if I would like to. And I realize that that's not, um, as accessible for everyone or even a thing on everyone's minds. So visiting New York and having everyone from all over the country that participated in the competition and made it that far, really get together and like celebrate the work of August Wilson was super it was amazing. There were all types of colors, shapes, sizes on that stage. And that was really, to me, um, it spoke to his work so beautifully. It, I've never been in a competition where I felt like, oh, this, this isn't a competition. Like, I'm not here to compete and you're not here to compete. And that was definitely one of those competitions where by the time it came to finals and we're standing on stage at the August Wilson Theater on Broadway, just for whatever reason, it, it really was like okay this is a celebration at this point this is um appreciation celebration really exploration of everything that i think i want to see in on these stages which was very cool to experience while i was there and then to when it was like okay this is too much (laughs) this is ridiculous but it was um it was amazing it felt really good the entire time did you get to connect a lot with the other um, participants? Did you guys get to like spend a lot of time together? Yeah, we spent and... a lot of time together. They have a, a programming and we have like an itinerary and everything. We all stayed in the same hotel, around the same rooms. And of course we all like, we had lights out or something like that, but we were all in someone's room until way too late. Yeah, no, never yeah. ever do you observe Come lights on. out. We're like in New York City too. And some of them, like <laughs> there was one kid um, who lives in Utah. And was just like, what? Like, we're in New York. Let's leave the hotel. And I'm like, okay, guys, we <laughs> we will get disqualified from the competition. <laughs> but um, yeah, we spent a lot of time together. We visited a lot of like museums and things together. We got to shop together. Um, yeah, and really like dispel that tension. I think that was very intentional. <laughs> but it was great. Do you have any dream roles? Hmm. My dream role is to play Viola Davis's daughter and or granddaughter um, that she just like spits knowledge to the entire time in some way, like in monologue form. And I just have to sit there and listen because I would just like to do that with Viola Davis. But if it's in a play, that'd be great too. Sounds like you need to write a play. 
Yeah. <laughs> and just like email Viola Davis. Hi. Um, I have this really powerhouse role for you. <laughs> You'd be great for it. Yeah. It's you. It's literally you. <laughs> My character's name is Viola. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Something along the I would just like to work um, with and around more people of color. Um, people that look and sound like me and, and share my experience and can help share that with the rest. That'd be sweet. Cool. Is there absolutely anything else that you want to talk about or plug before we sign off? Ooh, um, support young art, y'all. You know, pay us for our work. Um, just see it. That'd be cool. Spread it. Social media. We're all over it. So <laughs> that'd be sweet. Um, really just like paying attention to young voices and on listening to them not as a young voice but as a voice and that's valid and you know knows what they're talking about even if it's only what they know in that moment cool yeah and thank you this is thank sweet. you <laughs> this has been awesome Ariane, thanks so much for coming over thank you for having me Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard and want to support this podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes. It is so quick and easy and a huge help in spreading the word about the show. You can also subscribe to get the latest episodes right away, like our next episode with playwright Calamity West. I mean, the really cool thing about theater, I think, is that you get a bunch of people in a room and we're gonna sit down together and we're gonna watch things go really really badly for other people that's back here in two weeks on spiel chicago see you at the theater